Welcome to That's Orgasmic, a podcast discussing the orgasmic and not-so-orgasmic moments of all things sex, relationships, and mental health. I am your host, Emily Duncan, and I'm a sexologist who provides online sex coaching sessions to help you cultivate sexual wellness. This podcast is being recorded on Wadawurrung land. We pay our respect to the traditional custodians of this country and elders past and present. We extend that respect to any First Nations, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people joining us today. Please enjoy this episode. Today I'm joined with Dr. Tina Sherma-Sellers, who is a licensed sex and gender feminist psychotherapist, best-selling author, researcher, Emirati professor and media personality whose expertise spans sex therapy, spiritual intimacy, parenting, medicine and social justice. So today we talk all about parenting and how to talk to your kids about sex. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I want to talk about shameless parenting and when it comes to teaching our kids about sex. I think a lot of people are terrified of talking about sex with kids whether it's their kids or there's just you know a child in front of you who's brought something up and I guess I first wanted to ask you because when I was coming into this I was really centering around parents but then I thought well whose responsibility is it to be talking about sex with kids so yeah I'd love to know who do you think the responsibility is on when it comes to teaching children about sex well, I honestly um, think in an ideal world that parents would feel comfortable to teach your kids about whatever is important to you for them to know, right? And so like for most parents, it is, I want my kids to be a good friend, to have good friends, to have good relationships, to thrive relationally in their lives as well as in their careers and in other places, but to have good friends and have good relationships and know how to do that, know how to grow that up. A lot of those skills though, often are not taught when a parent thinks about it might be related to sexuality. And that usually just comes from a long line of previous parents, grandparents, et cetera, et cetera, being silent or silent and shaming around the normal curiosities that kids bring up as they're growing up all the way up. Right. And, um, and so then they go silent and they, they go, you know, and then they, maybe they get upset or maybe they just get quiet or, or whatever, they feel uncomfortable with it. But then what ends up happening is the kids learn about those things, emotional, social intelligence, sexual intelligence, that kind of thing. They learn about it through media and friends, still the media usually, um, rather than from somebody who actually can inform them and say, this is what this is. This is what it's for. This is why it's wonderful. This is how we take care of it. Just kind of what we do or what we need to do. We can do it usually around health and wellness in other areas, but not as much in this place. So in, in, in my ideal world, parents would feel comfortable to instruct their kids about all the different things that feel important because then they can weave in their own values with it. Well, and this is why I think it's important to not use violence with people, or this is why I think it is important to, you know, because then they can kind of help the child understand what it means to you as a parent, these different things. 
So I think that's the ideal place. Secondarily, I would say, I think ed education is in charge of education, you know, like, and we need to understand that subjects, math, science, whatever are important, but also teaching kids how to do relationships well is what we ought to be doing between five and 18 as well, mm. right? Lots of conversations about how you navigate the world responsibly and with care, what it means to be treated well and why that's important, how you defend yourself, knowing your own boundaries, this kind of thing is all I think really important. And I think education should play a role in emotional, social learning, as well as sexual health development. And it should echo what's happening at home but parents, if they're free to, can also put their own nuanced spin on things based on their own life experience or values or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when, as children and adolescents, we spend most of our time at school. So obviously a lot of these conversations are going to be coming up at school. So having teachers and, yeah. you know, the adults there equipped to be able to have these discussions, even when they're not planned, I feel like too, right. like not just when it's here's our one hour to talk about this because we have so many questions exactly. and I feel like there's so many times when there might so be many. yeah and an example of like you know maybe a poor representation of how to treat somebody a relationship where there needs to be that conversation yeah. of this is how we do it exactly exactly and here's the difference between entertainment and real life like we need to talk about those things like I know you know that you're not Spider-Man and can't scale a wall, but we also have to talk about the other things that are the difference between reality and fantasy too, right? And that helps kids become informed, right? And equipped um, to recognize exploitation or to recognize that something's not true and to say, well, I don't think that's entirely true, you know, or whatever, just to have that information. Yeah. Um, I, at one point I put together handouts for teachers and therapists and coaches and clergy and all the people that are kind of in front of kids as they're growing up. Right. Um, and put together handouts. So if they are with kids or parents or caregivers or whatever, they can say, Oh, here's the eight to 10 handout. This is the behavioral tasks kids do, the emotional tasks they tend to do. Here's the sexual or sensual curiosities, body curiosities that might emerge. Here's the top books and websites you can go to. Here's how to manage your own shame if you're feeling yourself feel uncomfortable. That's just a, you know, you can be really gentle with yourself, but that's just an indicator that you didn't get what you needed, you know? And so how to be gentle with yourself and how to then raise yourself up with this information, give it to yourself finally, right? So then they can turn around and give it to a kid. Um, I made those handouts um, and people can download them off my website um, in the store section. If they find themselves in those places where they're having conversations and they don't feel entirely comfortable, there's at least a handout that will help them decide what they wanna share or if they wanna send it home with the kids or the parents or whatever, they're all there for them, so. And then yeah, that's that same great. information is in the shameless parenting book too for parents and grandparents and whatever. Whoever, yeah. whoever's around kids. I think that's great because I think the first problem a lot of people whoever's have around is, kids. yeah. And the first problem people have is like, where do I go? What resource do I use? I never yes. got these sex ed. I have so much shame about sex. I don't even, you know, maybe want to have it myself. How the hell am I meant to talk to a child about this? 
Exactly, exactly. And I think, you know, out of that discomfort, which is really understandable, right? Because people didn't get what they needed growing up. Out of that discomfort, though, they often remain silent, right? And thinking, oh, it's too early to talk about this with my kid, or I just don't know what to say, or I'll do it later, you know? And that's really part of why I put together those handouts for professionals in the book for anybody else is just to help you get comfortable so that when it does come up or you do see those indicators with your child, you know how to just jump in and just offer that 30 second sound bite of what the information that they need to understand. Yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned something there, like they um, can feel that it's too soon to talk about something. So I'd love to talk about age appropriate sex education. And I think we're hearing it a lot more this term, but I'd love you to explain like, what does that actually mean? Yeah. I think that is such a good question. And you're right. Most people don't really know what it is. Um, When we're thinking of kids like two, you know, so they found their genitals by the time they're two years old. So you you have to see it's helpful if you can not get angry, not slap their hand away, but instead say, oh, that's your penis. It's a wonderful part of your body. Or, oh, that's your vulva. It's a wonderful part of your body. Now I'm going to finish diapering you or now I'm going to finish whatever. You know, as they become enamored with that spot because it's got lots of wonderful nerve endings to just say, yeah, that's a wonderful part of your body that feels extra special to touch. And we're just so grateful to have those parts of our body. And then when they hit about three to four, then you start telling, well, so when we want to touch that part of our body, We go to our bathroom or to the bedroom, and that's what everybody in the house does, and you're going to learn to do that too. And you'll have to remind them a million times before they finally get it, but that's okay. You're just still letting them know that that's, again, it's it's teaching one of the social values, right? That tends to be typical. Um, So kids are doing different things at different ages. That's your entree into explaining, right? They're curious about another's body or they're curious what boys do and girls do kind of a thing. So gender identity stuff begins to emerge at like three and four, you know, being curious about other people's body, five, six, seven, you know, these are when kids get are playing doctor, right? These are normal curiosities. You can just simply say that that's a really normal thing to be curious about how other people's bodies look, or it's really normal to kind of wonder if there's a different thing that boys do or girls do. We can talk about that. You know, and you can, there's tons of books on this kind of thing too. Um, and also I talk about in the book, when I say gender identity is merging, you know, for a small number of kids, their body indication of what gender they are and their inside feeling of what gender they are. So their sex, their actual sex genitals, right? And their inside feeling, that can be different. And I always say to parents, if you, for any reason, have a little one that wants to gender express themselves different than what they were assigned at birth, please let them do that. Because if you push against that, they'll begin to feel like something is fundamentally wrong with them and they'll get start to get really depressed. And we can have kids suicidal by 10 whose parents wouldn't let them express themselves in the world the way they felt like it. So if you need support in doing that, find a pediatrician that understands gender identity or a therapist or sex therapist that understands this so that they can support you and hold you as you support your child being authentically who they are, because that's where their happiness and joy is going to come from by being themselves and let them tell you who they are, which kids are doing all the time when they're growing up. 
And sometimes that's exactly what you thought. And sometimes it's just not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And I think children are great representations of being authentically themselves and being almost selfish. They'll tell you exactly what they want when they want it and truly, you know, show up how they're meant to. And I guess sexuality and gender is probably one of the ways we first, you know, tell them, no, you can't do that. You can't show up how you want to show up. So yeah, it's really important to have these conversations. Exactly. Yeah, it is. You know, I think, I know that parents don't mean to shut them down, you know, but when a child is being exactly who they are and they get in trouble for that, curious about their body, curious about somebody else's, whatever, they get in trouble. The only meaning they can make of that is that something is fundamentally wrong with me. I must be bad because they don't really understand why they're getting in trouble because it's so, they're being so naturally themselves. We now have research to show how damaging, how hurtful sexual shame is for children and young and adolescents, children, young adults, whatever. But the fact that they can often start getting in trouble when they're still pre-verbal, we know then that they're getting messages not to be themselves from far back than they can even remember, right? They might remember, oh, I remember getting in trouble when I was five for playing doctor, But I can tell you, if they had people in their life that didn't see all of that as normal development, then they were getting in trouble since they were a year old, right? Finding their genitals, Mm -hmm. just whatever their curiosities about their bodies were. And so then that becomes a real deep-seated shame. And we know that sexual shame causes people to have real deep body feelings of humiliation and disgust about who they are as a person, their identity, as well as a sexual being as they grow up older, that they feel abnormal, inferior, and unworthy of love. Um, And this gets internalized first between themselves and their caregiver. And then it goes on to be reinforced by the culture. Because if you live in a capitalist culture, products are more important than people. So we make people feel bad. So they buy more products. Right. So the culture then lays on top of that shame feeling and then it gets going an internalized feedback loop. Right. An internalized critic that then is telling us what we've been hearing from culture and others since we were little. And this torments us until our last days, unless we understand how to begin to heal from it and stand up to it. So it's something that develops across our lifespan and it affects people profoundly and where we really notice it is it it impacts their ability to do attachment and love well Mm. right to have kind of an emotional and social and sexual intelligence about themselves yeah and when you just talk about that like it honestly it sounds terrifying when you put it forward like this that you know little things to Mm -hmm dismissing them or telling them they shouldn't touch their genitals at such a young age can then transform into you know this deep-seated shame and you know what you said earlier that uh, a child can become suicidal by 10 like that's terrifying and no parent would want want that for their child Um, and it just shows the importance of this conversation Exactly. Which is, you know, so much why I wrote the book Shameless Parenting, because I had people after they read my first book, they were saying, 
that's been really helpful to me. And it helps me know that I don't want to do to my child what was done to me, but I don't know what to do. And I'm like, I got you. I got you. I will help you. I will put it in two year increments. So you feel like somebody's holding your hand. I'll tell you all the top books and websites and books for you. All you got to do is be two years ahead of your kid. That's all you got to do just to help them. Because what we know is that parents who do do their own shame healing like this, and then parent children differently, that those kids, their default later in life, they are so have so much more confidence. They make better choices with partners and they're able to manage relationships and the complexity of relationships with more grace and more sense of being, you know, centered within themselves. Um, they're more fulfilling their relationships are. They just have more skills, right? And um, But they're skills that have to be taught and modeled by the people that are raising kids. So it yeah. is really, really important. And we do know that there are some um, countries like the Northern European countries who've been doing comprehensive sex education, you know, from... Uh, kindergarten through 18 for years and their statistics as far as happiness, relational happiness, low STIs, low teen pregnancy rates, all of that is just qualitatively better than what we have. So we do know that this works. So you were asking, well, what is comprehensive sex education? So for the little kids, for the kids like in pre-elementary, it's all social emotional learning. It's all Mm -hmm. about learning to say yes, learning to say no, learning to respect other people's yes and no, respect other people's bodies and boundaries, um, learn about body autonomy, learn about consent, uh, learn about what kindness is and what it means to be kind and to ask for kindness and you just all, all kinds of social emotional learning. So they, they become good at being able to do relationships well. As they get into the second half of elementary school, we start to introduce, because kids are hitting puberty, we're starting to introduce some of the puberty information about how the body's going to change, what these changes are going to mean, how you might feel, what might happen, all of these kinds of things. These are all normal and it's hard. It's about getting ready for that portion of your life. And is that they enter into later um, elementary and, and into junior high, then we start having more complex conversations about um, exploitation and safety and gender identity, gender identity and what, you know, how to care for people, crushes and learning to listen and the difference that we talk about, um, patriarchy, some of the messages that aren't helpful that say people should be in boxes like this or this or this or this, and how that's not helpful, what it means to appreciate diversity. You know, we're having much more complex questions and even eventually leading to role plays where they can practice what it means to be safe in the world and to protect themselves. So it's a, it's, it's complex, but it's social, emotional, and sexual health, um, relational learning. So we're setting the stage for them to be able to do relationships in a way where they feel safe, where there's compassion, empathy, where there's um, connection and pleasure, and it's shared by both people or whoever is in the relationship. Um, it's not uh, predetermined, you know, that it's more important for one person than another or for whatever. So you're taking some of those down. I guess the other thing I would say that's in there now and is becoming more and more common to have conversations about is media literacy. How yeah. do you tell what's being sold to you? 
you know, and how you question who's this for, who's it not for, who's paying for it, who's benefiting, who's not, those kinds of things to help kids grow to have solid critical thinking skills when it comes to media um, consumption. Yeah, so that's that's kind of what it looks like. It's way more complex, you know, than people think. And so you, you still hear from people, well, I don't want to give my kids sex education because it's mean it's going to do it. And I'm like, no, 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 actually... You want them to have sex, relational, and emotional learning, and you want it to come at age-appropriate kinds of ways. And what the research shows is kids will get involved with sex later, make safer sexual choices when they do decide to become more involved with somebody. And they're just, overall, they're happier in their life because they do attachment and love better, and they say no better yeah, which is so important <laughs> these are all really yeah. important things that we want kids to have right yeah yeah absolutely one thing i just want to quickly clarify for any of the australian listeners uh when you're talking about like elementary school junior high all different here so what age group is that roughly because i was like i don't even know what elementary school is i'm like I think <laughs> <it's primary." laughs> oh, oh yeah you can you can you should, you should educate me on how it is so so um, early elementary school would be five to probably eight. That's what we would have our kindergarten through through third grade. That's our primary primary. Secondary elementary is nine to 12, 11 or 12, depending. And that's usually grades four, five, six, you know, and then middle school is grades seven and eight. And so you're 12 to 14 or 15, depending on how your birthday falls. And then high school is usually ninth or 10th grade. So 14, 15, 16 to 18. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for clarifying. Um, obviously, throughout <laughs> <Sure>. the, <laughs> you talked about like, I guess, the age appropriate sex education. I'd love if we'd be able to delve into a bit, I guess, the typical sexual development, which you have touched on a bit. But I find that a lot of parents look at their child and think that they could not possibly be having sex when they're already having sex. So I was wondering if we'd be able to just like break that down a little bit of what that sexual development may look like or, you know, the typical, just so I guess parents are aware, like, yes, our children do start to have these sexual feelings around this age because I feel like a lot of parents dismiss that that's even possible. Yes. Right. And I will, and I will say for you and for your listeners, you can go to my website, to tinashermersellers.com, and on the homepage, I think that there's a button where you can click to download your own copy of a developmental sheet that'll give it, lay it all out for you. Like here are these ages, these ages. So you can just see that and try to remember that. Um, Kids are curious about their own bodies as they're learning about the world. So two, three, four, five, six, seven, they start being curious about others and others' bodies and what's happening. You're curious about gender beginning around three and four often. And then that will also go up, you know, sometimes kids are a little older. Um, And so they're learning about, they've been learning about their own bodies and now they're curious about everybody else, right? Kids are going to start having puberty changes. They can come as early as eight and go to 12 or 13 for the girls and start at more like 10 for the boys and go to 15, 16, depending again. Um, and here we have some significant hormonal shifts that are happening in the body. And this is going to often make kids just a little bit more aware of 
themselves and others, right? So we might start to notice that they're having crushes by third grade, fourth grade, you know, having crushes on other people, how that feels different than just somebody that's a friend, you know, so what attraction is and what that means. Um, how much they feel like the gender that they were assigned. Do they feel like a girly girl? Do they feel like a tomboy girl? Do they feel like a, a, someone that was assigned girl, but they don't feel like a girl? They feel like a boy on the inside, you know, or any of a whole myriad of other things. You're wanting to listen to how they're expressing who they are in the world and and also having conversations about who they like and what they like about that person and qualities in people and this kind of thing and the qualities in them, their own values that are emerging. Um, but kids, because this attraction thing is going to get going by 8, 9, 10, 11, by 12, 13, they may have actual... Um, uh, whatever you want, boyfriends, girlfriends, people that they like, people that they might be interested in hooking up with. The other thing that's infiltrating in this time is kids are exposed to many, many ideas. And some of those ideas exceed what their development is. So if they're exposed to um, free pornography, that often is with, can have trafficked people in there. Um, it can have a little bit more violence involved. It just depends on what kids stumble upon, but it's definitely not as um, curated as an ethical porn site would be more curated as to what you will see and what you won't see. Um, kids can get exposed to things and then that information comes into their peer group too at school. So now we're talking fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, kids are hearing from each other all kinds of things about what's been on the internet. Some are in more protective environments at home and some are in not protective environments at all. And so we know the average age that a child is often exposed to pornography, online and pornography is about nine years old. That could be from a friend, that could be from somebody outside the home. And this is why, because this factor is, is, is part of their lives, this is why we have to start having conversations with them about what is real, what is adult entertainment? What is not real? What is just regular other kinds of entertainment? And why, how do we know that's not real? Like, what is the thinking that we put behind things? And, and why some of the things that we might see in the adult entertainment world might be scary for them because they might not yet be ready. But we can talk about that and we can say, if you're ever seeing anything that's scary to you, it might have adults in it, might have adults without clothes on, they might be hurting each other, or I don't know. Whatever you see, if it scares you, bothers you, in any way you're curious about it, I would sure love for you to come home and talk to me about it so I can have a chance to explain it more and help you understand the context of things more so it's not so scary and you can kind of see what it is around it. Because some of the stuff you're going to hear from your friends just frankly isn't going to be true. you know. And I really want you to be aware of what's true because I don't want you to bring fantasy information into relationships and have that cause pain to you or someone else, which it could. You know, so we are starting to have more complex conversations, you know, by the time they're getting a little bit older because their bodies are changing. Friends are bringing them things. They're getting a lot of stuff at school. And we as the, as the parents or caregivers or grandparents, whatever, we want to stay a little bit ahead of them and not behind them so that they're scrambling and they're trying mm -hmm. to stay face with the friends and all of that kind of thing. Right. The more they can see 
an adult in their life as a safe person to talk to about these things, the better they do dealing with life because they know they've got someone that they can talk to who's not going to shame them, who's just going to be ultimately open and curious and just want to be helpful. Yeah, so, awesome. Does that sort of get at some of what your question? Yeah, are? yeah, absolutely. Okay. I guess I have um, maybe one or two more on that. Um, masturbation, when does that typically begin? Yeah, that's a terrific question. And it seems like it ought to be straightforward, but it's not. Mm -hmm. um, so kids are going to find their genitals by the time they're between a year and two years old. They're usually going to find them in the bathtub, getting their diapers changed, whatever. They're going to love that part of their body because it feels fabulous. It has wonderful nerve endings in it. It's right there. It's attached to you, which is a great thing, right? Um, but kids who are little, kids who are toddlers, until they learn, until their body begins moving into puberty. So that is a comfort for them. They are often touching themselves, whether it's in front of everybody before they learn how to go to their room or use the bathroom, which they'll learn by four, if you help them learn that, you know, it's going to be about comfort and um, just feeling soothed. You know, that part of our body is terribly soothing, even before we move through an arousal cycle and before we're able to um, have an orgasm or, um, or for boys before they're able to ejaculate. That part is just comfort. When our hormones get involved, that urge to move through our arousal cycle to completion, to orgasm, to ejaculation, that often will start increasing as the hormones increase in our body. So it depends on, again, on our development, mm -hmm. anywhere from eight to 12 or 13 for girls, 10 to 15 or so for boys. We know that testosterone, for example, increases by 20 times in a boy's body who goes, is going through his puberty. So from 13 to 15, that is a significant shift in how they feel on the inside of their bodies, right? I often say they go from being a bicycle to a rocket ship and nobody is ever telling them that's what's happening. Mm -hmm. Like, babe, this is normal. And you're going to feel the need to move through your arousal cycle. That's how we've kept our species going. It's been around a really long time. Here's ways to do it where you can have privacy. You're not taking up the bathroom for an hour or whatever, you know, and we just let them know that this is your, this is a drive to reproduce. You're not going to be ready to reproduce for a long time, but that's what this drive is. And, and I believe it's important to teach kids you're responsible for your drive. No one else is. You mm -hmm. are. That's what masturbation is for. Take care of that drive. If you're not planning on conceiving, take care of that drive. But do not look to somebody else to make your drive feel better for you. Our relationships with other people are about connection and sharing pleasure, not taking pleasure from someone, sharing pleasure. That involves conversation. That involves caring, giving caring, receiving caring. That's something different. That's called intimacy. And you can't do intimacy by yourself. You can do intimacy with others, but others are not responsible for your arousal cycle. So I think it's really important to teach, especially because patriarchy gives a very different message to boys that identify as boys, especially about that it's about them and their their arousal cycle. And and girls get that message too. 
girls that are, and again, this is especially true for straight folks, right? Straight kids, straight adolescents. If they're uh, identified as a girl at birth, they're cisgendered and they're attracted to the opposite gender, then they're going to be more impacted by the messages of patriarchy, which are girls are like this, boys are like this. None of that's helpful, I don't think. Mm -hmm. So I think that those are conversations that are really important to have, especially for straight kids. I think a lot of our queer kids have been asking these questions and they're talking about it amongst each other and they're feeling like, no, that's okay. And that's okay. And that's okay. And you're okay. You know, but our straight kids are the ones that are really naive and often very, very ignorant about how to foster happiness in themselves and others, especially relationally. Mm. I would love to, I guess, uh, talk about some common mistakes that you might see in parenting. Obviously, we've discussed like shaming or not talking about these topics. Is there any other common mistakes that you'll see parents make? Well, again, I think it's more. I mean, it's 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 more more often. Um, it's not talking about things mm -hmm. that kids actually need to know they can come to you for. So like we were talking about media literacy or, you know, just what it means to have boundaries and why boundaries are important, what it means to protect yourself, protect other people and why that's important. It's just, there's a lot of conversations like this, which is why I think books like shameless parenting are helpful. Cause I give you all that stuff. And then I say, here are the books. You don't even have to, learn it all yourself. You just have to read the books with your kids, you know, or with your adolescents or your teens or whatever. And that will help you. That'll give you the language to talk about it. So really there's a whole piece of just parents not talking about these relational kinds of, and, and sexual health kinds of topics, um, power differential topics about power and how power is used and abused. You know, these things aren't talked about. And then what is, I think, over talked about is, you know, what university you're going to go to or what career you're going to do or whatever, as if just making money is going to make you happy. And we know it's going to make you comfortable, but it will not make you happy. And so this is where I think parents are not. I, I think the other mistake often is, well, yeah, it, it, I was going to say is, um, just making assumptions that you know what your child's life is like, or it should be like what yours was like in adolescence or whatever. Kids are going through some things now that we didn't go through. And so I think parents often don't bring a kind of curiosity to their child's life, like wanting to really understand what's it like at school? What's it like with your friends? What's the easiest part? What's the hardest part? What's the part you love the most? What's the part that you wish wasn't there? You know, um, where can I support you better? in your seventh grade year, in your eighth grade year? Where can I support you better? Because you know your world better than I do. You know, and it's it's really coming with that kind of curiosity all the time to your child and really listening and then listening some more versus doing a lot of telling as they're in, you know, getting to be pre-adolescent and adolescent because kids go underground and they're just not going to tell you. And that's actually more dangerous for them than if they came home and told you. You know, if they knew you weren't going to react to it and you would instead be like, how can I help you? How can I support you here? What do you most need from me here? 
you know, I can remember one time I have four grown kids and two grandchildren and, and, um, I can remember my daughter, we just phones had kind of come out and she was texting and, and the paper, the paper, um, bills used to come. And I remember one time sitting down with her and saying, sweet pea, I'm noticing that you're on your phone, like after 11 and before like seven in the morning, sometimes in the middle of the night. And I just want to chat with you about that because what I know about you is you really like your alone time. But now that we've had this phone, that's really reduced a lot because you can be contacted at any point. And she's like, yeah, and I think that's why I'm so tired all the time. And I said, so how can I help you? What can I do? And she's like, I don't know, because I can't tell my friends I'm not going to respond to them like that. That wouldn't be cool. And I said, okay, so can we come up with a deal? How about you tell them that I am being so mean I'm the meanest mom ever. And I'm making you turn your phone off at 10 o'clock every night and not turn it back on till seven. In fact, I'm even taking your phone from you. She said, oh, that would help a lot because then it would be your fault. And I'm like, yeah, I am so okay being the fall guy until you feel grown up enough to say that's what you want. And that doesn't happen overnight. But I'm so okay being that person. I don't care what people think of me. I know I care what you guys think of me, but I don't care. I don't care about that. And so we would work out these things together, you know, to just try to figure out how to help because her world was different than mine. I didn't have texts and, you know, we didn't have that. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to be bombarded in the middle of the night because nobody would call your house after 10 (laughs) o'clock. Yeah. So it's really different, you know? Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I love that you're like collaborating with your child saying, how can I help you? I Mm -hmm. feel like that is something that, children, adolescents, even people in their early 20s sometimes don't get is adults coming to them and saying, how can I support you? How can I help you? Instead of them just being like, this is how it is. This is how I had it. So therefore you must have the same. And we're not having these conversations. And it's then creating this cycle of a lack of curiosity. I see it in my clients. I see it in my life with my friends, whoever they just aren't curious. They don't ask questions. They hear something. They get this feeling. This must be how it is then. And they're not saying, okay, what does this mean? Yeah, how can I support you? Asking all of these questions that are so important. We're forgetting how to ask questions and when to ask questions. So I absolutely love that. And right. I think that it's just so important just being curious and wanting to learn from our kids too because even when I finished school, like high school, what, like five, six years ago, it is so different now. Like it is so di- – I couldn't even imagine what it's like for them now and that is in such a short time frame. whereas if you've had a child, it's 20 or 30 yeah. years difference. It is not the same in any yes, way. exactly. No. And it, and like you're, you were suggesting it's, it's increasing in its speed of change. Yes. Like we can't even get ahead of it. Right. We can't even get ahead of it. So, I mean, I remember hearing like a decade ago, cause I, I taught in a grad program for almost 30 years. And, and I remember hearing like, I don't know, 10 plus years ago, you can pick a major in your freshman year of college and that field doesn't even exist by the time you graduate. Right. Or it has changed so much. Right. Mm-hmm. So we're in a very different time. And and I also think that there's something that happens interpersonally when we are curious. When we are curious, I don't care if it's with our three-year-old, our eight-year-old, our 12-year-old, our 28-year-old. 
when we're curious and we ask that question and we really want to know what we're saying is I love you and I respect you and I believe you know things that are important for me to know. So it's an incredible confidence booster to ask kids questions, even when they're little. Well, what do you think? How would you want to do it? What's your favorite thing to eat? What do you like about that? I mean, just asking them says, I love you, I believe in you, and I believe you have some wisdom that, you know, it's like, I respect you. You have some dis- wisdom that I want to know too, you know? Yeah. And that is such a um, confidence booster because we're the ones with all the power. So when we give that kind of, you know, treatment, affirmation to a child, to an adolescent, to a young adult, really to anybody, it communicates more than just what our words are saying. Mm. Yeah, I think that's honestly some like one of the most important pieces of advice out of this episode is just asking questions and being more curious. I think that is, yeah, it's so important. I want to talk a bit about sexual shame when it comes to parents' sexual shame because I think that's also really important when it then comes to talking with kids about sex. Mm -hmm. And I guess the first question, do you think parents need to be aware of their own sexual shame to be able to give, I guess, this comprehensive sex ed that isn't harmful? I do, and it's why why the book Shameless Parenting, the subtitle is – Everything you need to raise shame-free, confident kids and heal your shame too. And I put that subtitle in there because I do believe that the more we heal our own shame, the more fun we have actually parenting our kids. So providing them this information, it it becomes fun. It becomes like exciting because our relationship with our child grows um, stronger because we're being curious, because we're asking, because we are sharing our concerns, but we're not telling them what to and not to do, you know, when they're, as they get a little bit, you know, like eight, nine, 10, we start mm-hmm. to say, you know, I want to talk about that decision you decided to make there. As I don't understand it. Doesn't seem like you to like, not tell the truth, but I, cause I know what a truthful person you are. So Maybe you can explain it to me and help me understand things better. You know, it's just, it's a different kind of way of approaching and saying that I respect you. I think that, um, I think that as we, as we provide these things for our kids, it, it it helps them a lot. And, but it means sometimes that parents come to recognize what their body is saying when their body is saying it has shame. So often it's a feeling, it's a worry, it's a fear that your kid's going to do something and they're going to get in trouble because it goes back to you getting in trouble when you were little. So first, I think it's just really recognizing like what's happening in me. If your inside wants to jump out and you want to scream or yell or do something, it's just good to just stop and breathe and notice that you're feeling that. And then just say to yourself, this is from my past. This is just something I need to heal. And then I would say, get into the books that I'm recommending for that age. And you're going to find, you're going to get the education you never got. And as you get that education, you never got, you're going to start to realize you are a remarkable and still are a remarkable human. You are a lovely soul and you always have been. So even though you got in trouble by also people who were scared, you know, and a little freaked out, it wasn't about you. It was about them and their past. Right. And this is why when we start to deal with it ourselves, 
it starts to diminish in us and we start to go, oh, I was a really normal kid. And then we start to enjoy our children's normalness or typicalness or being what I call your age description. I say, you know, when a 13 year old tells you that they don't like you or they're mad at you or whatever, you're, you're, you need to say they're fulfilling their job description. <laughs> they're not supposed to be happy when you draw a boundary. You know, their job is to get what they want and try to become their own individual person. And that means sometimes that they're going to be mad at you when you draw a boundary. Don't be mad at them. Be grateful that they're growing up just the way they're supposed to. You know, and be like, I know, you're, I know you're mad at me and it's okay. I love you. And yeah, you're right. You don't get to go do X, Y, Z. Bummer. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I love that advice. Um, I think, yeah, sexual shame is something that's like, it's so heavy and it's so deep and there's just so much to it that people aren't even aware of. So working through it, I think is so important. Um, and it's not an easy task. And honestly, like, I feel like for most people, it's spending your whole life working through it. Even for me as a sexologist, there's still stuff that comes up. And yeah. I think it's a forever sure. job, um, especially in the society that we live where yeah. it's constantly, you know, trying to affirm that sexual shame. Yeah. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a constant yeah. battle it can feel like sometimes. So it's so important, I guess, to start listening to podcasts like this, reading books, going and seeing a therapist, sexologist, whatever, because there's so much yes. misinformation out there oh, that you've learned and so much unlearning to do that I think it's, yeah, it's so important that we start that journey of doing it. Absolutely. And you'll feel increasingly more liberated inside your body as you do some of this healing. I know I talk about in the first book I wrote, the Sex, God and Conservative Church book, I talk about how to heal what I call the mess and it's the model for erasing sexual shame when healing the mess. And so it's really four things. The first is frame, name, claim, and aim. And frame is get yourself a frame of a scaffolding like of sex education. Help yourself get rid of the myths and stuff that's in there that has maybe been plaguing you or, you know, kind of tormenting you on your shoulder, you know, that maybe it's just never been true and get yourself that so that you can free yourself a little bit. And the name is tell your story to somebody, what it was like to grow up in your family, in your high school and your, you know, like, and because what you're going to find is and to somebody who is compassionate and empathic, that could be a therapist. It could be a friend, right? But just somebody that can hear and say, yeah, me too. Yeah. That was really hard. You're so not alone because when I ask people around the States, when I'm traveling around and talking, it's about 95% of the people describe growing up in homes that were silent or silent and shaming. So it's super common. So people, but people don't know that. So share your story. So that's name. Mm -hmm. Claim is claim your body is good. I don't care what it looks like. If you're able to get up in the morning and enjoy your day, it's a good body. And I don't want people to get to their last you know, leg of life and then wish, look back and wish that they had appreciated their body. So I always think your body is like, it's like the pen that writes the poetry of your life. And if you're able to get up and enjoy your day to some degree, that's a, that's a good body and you can work to celebrate it. I think that our culture and the way that we do our economy is to make you feel badly about your body so that you keep purchasing things. 
And that's just not been helpful to any of us who feel that, you know. So claim, name, and frame, frame, name, and claim, all of those things when you do them and you keep practicing them and keep working on what happens is you begin to find yourself aiming for a whole new sexual health and relational health legacy for yourself and then anybody who knows you because you just engage in conversations differently. You're not reactive and you're much more grace-filled and and aware of the breadth of diversity that we have in the human experience. And it's very broad. Mm, Yeah, it is. It's so broad. So, um, yeah, and that was some great advice on how I, to yeah to work through that. Um, I have a few scenarios I'd like to like run through with you um, when it comes to different like stages of kids that I think are common or I've heard about it at least. The ages might be different or you know slightly different, but I thought if I could you know give you a little spiel and then how would be best to respond or what you think would be like a good option for parents who I feel like when they hear these things they're like I don't know and oh, I don't want to deal with that and uh, first one which we've kind of touched on a bit is so like you've caught let's say like your 12 year old watching porn what do we do? I'm going to stop the episode right there, Shaggers. If you want to keep listening, there will be a part two that will be released tomorrow, Friday at 6am Melbourne time. So please keep your eye open for that. We will break down different scenarios from the one you just heard to your child finding your vibrator to then walking in on your child being sexual with somebody else and how you can best respond to these situations. As for the rest of this episode, please keep listening if you want to find out where you can find Dr. Tina and her resources. Yeah. So books are at most booksellers, um, Amazon for sure. Um, so the first one, Sex, God, and the Conservative Church, Erasing Shame from Sexual Intimacy. And um, especially important for people who've been exposed to abstinence education or to purity movement in any way. It's going to explain things you wish you knew. 20 years, 25 years ago. Um, and um, and then the sec- uh, Shameless Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise Shame-Free, Confident Kids and Heal Your Shame Too is also on Amazon. The books are referenced on my website, which is uh, tinashermersellers.com. You can find me on Instagram at Dr. Tina Shameless, or you can find my institute, which trains in sexual health. You can find it at NW Institute on Intimacy um, or NWIOI.com, either of those places. Yeah. And if you're interested in the handouts that I have for professionals, um, they're also on my website too, under the, I think the store tab to learn more about them. There. Amazing. That's it. Thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge. I know this is going to be super, super helpful for honestly all adults who are around children, which is everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Emily. I've loved being here with you. It was a fun conversation. As always, Shaggers, please reach out with any comments, questions, or stories, either through my Instagram at That's Orgasmic or my email, emilyduncan at thatsorgasmic.com. Please subscribe on whatever platform you use to listen to this podcast so you never miss an episode and leave a review as I would love to know what you're thinking. So thank you, Shaggers, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>